My heart sank as I read this story. It was an exhilarating performance at New York's Carnegie Hall from the classic cellist Yo-Yo Ma. It said that when he was finished with his performance, he got into a New York City cab to go to his hotel on the other side of Manhattan. He placed his cello, but not just any cello. He placed his handcrafted Vienna 1733 $2.5 million cello in the trunk of a New York City taxi cab. When Yo-Yo Ma reached his destination, he paid the driver, but forgot to take his cello. After the cab had disappeared, Yo-Yo Ma realized what he had done. He began the desperate search for this missing instrument. And fortunately, he had the receipt and the cabbie's ID number. And searching all day, his cello was finally found in Queens, New York, with the priceless cello still in the trunk. Think about that for just a second, leaving something that priceless inadvertently in the trunk of a taxi cab. There is a church in the book of Revelation that was accused of something more devastating than leaving a $2.5 million, 1733 Vienna cello. They left something even far more valuable. They left their love for God. I want to take you to Revelations 2 and 3. These are messages from Jesus to the seven churches of Asia. And they are still messages, I believe, for the church today. Not every message is encouraging. In fact, they are pretty convicting 2,000 years later. The first church God speaks to is the church of Ephesus. Let me read to you something that sounds awfully yo-yo ma-like, and and I want you to see how even more catastrophic it is than a $2.5 million Vienna cello. Let me read to you what Jesus says to the church of Ephesus. These are written in red letters, which means Jesus is speaking to his bride and to his church. Here's what Jesus said. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. And they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake and have not grown weary. And then here it comes. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Let me say those words again. Jesus says to his church in Ephesus, you have left your first love. On one of my Delta flights some years ago, I left my Kindle, my e-reader book, um, on the plane right there at LaGuardia Airport. As I was packing up my bag and getting everything together, I leaned it against the exit door as I was putting everything together. And I didn't put it in my backpack. And I didn't just leave it a Kindle. I left a thousand books leaning against the exit door. But let me be clear. I didn't lose it. I know exactly where it is. It was on flight number 629 out of Atlanta. I didn't lose it. I left it on the plane. Lost has no idea where it is. Lost means it fell out of your pocket. It it fell out of your car or out of your jacket. I know exactly where that Kindle was and where it is, not only on Delta flight 629, but in row 15C. 
See, Delta doesn't seem to know where it is because I came back to their lost and found and they didn't know, but I left it on the plane. It was my fault. See, the church in Ephesus left something bigger and more massive than a thousand books leaning against an exit door. See, for all of my life growing up in the church, I've always heard the wrong word used here in Revelation 2.4, which makes all the difference of what Jesus was speaking to this church about, and I think even speaking to us about today. In that verse, if anyone has been in the church for any amount of time, you've probably said it, heard it, and even quoted it. I've always said this, you lost your first love. And as I begin to research this, not one version of, of the Bible puts lost in that verse. Every version begins to emphasize the word left. See, lost has the connotation of removing blame from the person, that my love of God just got accidentally lost in the hustle and the bustle of my religious life. Let me be clear. Ephesus left their first love. Ephesus did not lose their first love. See, there is blame here. That's what this letter is about. That's what this challenge and conviction is about here in Revelation chapter 2. That's why they're not being challenged, listen closely, to find it, but to repent for it. See, repentance deals with my responsibility. Listen to Revelation 2.5. Therefore, after he says that you have left your first love, he says, then therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent, assigning responsibility and do the deeds you did at last, at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. But here's what complicates this, this passage to me. It's the history that surrounds the Ephesus church. That's what complicates it for me. Here it is. Ephesus is the only New Testament church to have two different apostles write letters to it. That's Paul and John. See, the church of Ephesus was pastored by Timothy. In fact, the first epistle to Timothy was, was written while he was pastoring the Ephesus church. And then John, after Timothy, pastored that very church. That means during Timothy's pastoring of the church, even the apostle Paul came and stayed for three years. So here's my big question. How do you lose, how do you, how do you leave your first love when your pastors are Timothy and John? How do you leave your first love when you have the Apostle Paul hang with you, teach at your church for three years? How do you leave your first love when you have two New Testament letters even written to you? That, that's the question that's on the floor today. Not only a question for Ephesus, that is a question even for us today. I like biographies because I learn the process on how something came to be than simply getting the, the end result. If I have a choice between a leadership book and a bio, I'll choose the bio every single time. I want to see how they arrived at a principle. I don't want it just written out for me. Billy Graham's book, on, called Just As I Am, his biography has been not only just riveting, it has been challenging to me. Billy Graham's famous line, who is considered um, next to the Apostle Paul, the greatest evangelist that has ever lived, his famous line, wherever he is preaching, whether it's right here in New York City 
Um, in Central Park and in Queens around the world, his famous line is always this, the Bible says. That's vintage Billy Graham. But before Billy Graham became evangelist Billy Graham, he had a crisis of faith at 30 years old in the midst of preaching. And the crisis was this, was the Bible the authority and the inspiration um, of God? The authority and inspiration of scriptures was his crisis of faith. It was 1949 and the Los Angeles tent crusade was just weeks away and er everything was in place for what was literally gonna launch one of the greatest evangelist in, in history was from those Los Angeles tent that something powerful was gonna happen. In fact, it was in that tent right before, right before um, when Billy Graham was going through the crisis, it was in that tent that the famous Olympic athlete and POW, Louis Zapparini, would come to Christ. His story is in the book Unbroken, that, that Billy Graham's crisis was going to begin to even be bigger, that if he could get through this, that man was waiting to be saved in that tent. Billy said in his biography, just as I am, if I could not trust the Bible, I could not go on. I would cancel, I would cancel the Los Angeles 10 crusade and I would go back to be to being a, a, a dairy farmer. That's Billy Graham's words. And it says as he walked through the hills of San Bernardino, California, in the middle of the night, he fell to his knees, put his Bible on the ground, and he cried out, Oh God, there are many things that I don't understand in this book. There are many problems I don't have a solution for when I read this book at times. And he says, when I got real with God, when I poured out my soul to God in the mountains of San Bernardino in the middle of the night, he said, at last the Holy Spirit freed me. And he said, and I shouted in those mountains. I want to read to you what he said. He wrote these words down. Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm not going to, I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts. And I will believe this book as your inspired word. Hallelujah. And that night, God filled the greatest evangelist with these words that would ring across the world to millions of people. The Bible says, because of that night with wrestling. See, the church of Ephesus had a beach challenge before it had a revelation rebuke. It would be their San Bernardino moment that the challenge would come to them to hold on to their love for God. That many years, even decades before, they were about to have a wrestling match. See, the church of Ephesus on the beach of, of Ephesus was going to hear from the Apostle Paul. Just a bit of history for a moment. It was on Paul's second missionary journey, AD 52. He visited Ephesus after leaving Corinth and planted that church from Revelation 2 right there in Acts from Acts 18. On Paul's third missionary journey in AD 54 through 56, Paul spent three years teaching in the city of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. But here's the key. And then in AD 57, Paul met with the Ephesian elders. That's the beach challenge. That's this wrestling moment. Paul met with the Ephesian elders on the nearby island of Miletus and made his farewell address right there on the sands before he would get on a boat and leave them. The apostle Paul speaks to this church and gives instructions so it doesn't get to the place of leaving their first love. Do you know that the first Olympics had something very interesting that used to accompany their long distance run event. It was a caveat that is no longer seen today in the event, but we see it before the Olympic games. 
each long distance runner was not only just to run this great distance, but he was to run it with a torch, a burning torch at that. And thus we see the Olympic flame. And here's what it says, among the ancient Greek runners, it was the man, the man who won the race is wasn't the man who finished the fastest, it was the man who finished the fastest, listen, with the flame, the torch, still burning. The starting line for the church of Ephesus was Acts 20. But when it got to the book of Revelation, Ephesus had a torch, but the fire wasn't burning there. Their first love, the fire of God, the fire of love for Jesus himself was gone. They had the mechanics, they had the church, they had everything going on, but the flame was out. See, from Acts 20 to Revelation 2 is about 35 years. And that, when you think about it, it was in those 35 years, something happened. You were running and a flame went out. You were doing church things and you've left this love for Jesus. Wow, what a challenge for us as a church. In fact, what a challenge, not only for the church, but for our church. I want you to listen, Times Square Church. Let me speak to you as your pastor. Times Square Church is 33 years old. Ephesus was 35 years old. That sounds, when I think of us being 33 years old, I think how Ephesus-like that sounds to me. To think of having such incredible pastors as David Wilkerson and Carter Conlon as that led this church for 33 years, that ignited your hearts and hearts around the world to passionately burn for Jesus, to have a torch for him that would ring from this pulpit. I believe Pastor Carter Conlon handed me a torch with a fire burning. And I have to tell you, by God's grace, by God's grace, whenever that time comes, I want to hand the next pastor. If Jesus doesn't come, I want to give the next pastor that torch with our love for God still burning. I just, I've asked God, I've said, Lord, leaving our first love here at Times Square Church, not on my watch not on my watch. Keep it burning inside of me. See, on that beach of Ephesus, the apostle Paul gave three challenges to this church. Let me read it to you and then kind of this, this kind of extract what I see as three challenges that I think are important for us. He says, verse 28, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought, bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Wow, that's, that's so intense and even what's happening today. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, that there's the three years of the Apostle Paul. I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourself know that these hands of mine have supplied for my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we can help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. The apostle Paul on that beach gives three challenges to the church of Ephesus. These three challenges were to carry them 
all the way to the book of Revelation that should have been a commendation and said that you you took this challenge, you took the fight and you brought it 35 years later that your torch is still burning there in Revelation chapter two. Because in, in that, to be fair, in Revelation two and three, there is a church that is commended for the torch still burning, but Ephesus wasn't one of them because they missed the three challenges. Here were they, here's is what the challenges were. One, watch yourselves. Number two, I want you to watch your church. And then Paul finally ends with, well, I want you to watch me. See, the first two are warnings. The third is an example that he was trying to set before them. Let me, let me just give them to you briefly. He says, number one, you need to watch yourselves. And I believe this is impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. David prayed this prayer in the book of Psalms that we should adopt. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Look at all this. Search me. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point anything out in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Did you see in those two verses how many times Paul mentions me? He wasn't looking at anybody else. He was kept looking at himself. That one version says it like this, a paraphrase. The Living Bible says, point out anything in me that makes you sad, oh God. We, we need the Holy Spirit. And we, we, we live in a culture that is looking at everybody else, that is commenting and, and, and beginning to look at everybody else's social media and making the comment. But nobody is doing what David, David prayed. Look at me. Let me, let me begin to, to, uh, examine my heart before I start posting and, and critiquing everybody else. That's why A.W. Tozer, the great spiritual writer said it like this. A Pharisee is hard on others and easy on himself, but a spiritual man, a godly man, a holy man is easy on others, but he's hard on himself. See, social media has raised up Christians that we can comment on everybody else and everybody else's posts, but never speak truth to ourselves. We judge everyone except judging ourselves like David talked about. And we, we have people that are, that, that are watching everybody's language and watching everybody's music and watching everybody's posts and everybody's comments and nobody's watching themselves. That's where the church of Ephesus missed it. Paul also says, I need you to watch your back. In other words, watch out for people that will take you, that, that will, that will take you off course. There's a lot of craziness, Paul was saying, that is not just true then, but it's true now that wants to enter into the church. Boy, through my Bible reading this last week, I read this phrase and it just jumped out at me when Paul was even warning the church at Corinth. And really this, this even Ephesus should have taken, taken even a, a page from this. Listen to what Paul said. Now these things, brethren, I figured, Olivia, apply to myself and Apollos for your sake, so that in us you may learn, listen to these words, not to exceed what is written so that none of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against another. Did you hear that? Don't exceed, not to exceed what is written. Why? She says, so you don't become arrogant, prideful, puffed up. What the apostle Paul was saying to this church that, that really that Ephesus was missing was stick to the word of God. Leave the nonsense of conspiracy theories and, and nonsense doctrines that are trying to infiltrate your church. Be committed to the word of God. Be passionate for the Bible. 
not things that exceed what is written. I, we live in a culture that speaks about things that exceed what is written and we speak so passionately about it instead of staying grounded in the word of God. And when you do that, you find yourself on dangerous ground. And that's why the apostle Paul is saying, when that happens, then that doesn't mean you're your shepherd, but he says, but I need the shepherds to turn into German shepherds and don't let that infiltrate the church. The apostle Paul says, watch yourselves, examine you, have that Psalm 139 prayer become part of you to watch the church. Don't exceed what's written. Stay close to the word of God, especially in these times. That's a word for us. And number three, Paul says, watch me. He goes from two warnings to something that is so powerful. From verses 31 through 35, Paul switches the, to this word, I. I never stop warning. I commit you to God. I have not coveted. I showed you hard work. I, I've warned you with tears. And it's amazing. He speaks about tears, the word, and work. And Paul says to them, I've become an example to you that I just don't want you to keep things out from you and from others, but I want you to have something that you can model after. What Paul, the apostle Paul was saying is, my life taught you and not just my words. I believe if all we have, not only then, but today, if all we have is our men with sermons and not lives that are holy and back up those sermons, then our churches, and I, and I personally this word is starting to replace it, then our churches have communicators and not preachers. See, preachers of the gospel not only have a message, but they have a lifestyle. See, that's the danger of duplicity that has riddled the church's pulpits around the world and have left the world shaking their head that you have men that can say things but not live what they're saying. It was the great prayer writer, Ian Bounds, who said these words. He said, it's not great talents, nor great learning, nor great preachers that God needs, but men great in holiness, great in faith, great in love, great in fidelity, great for God. Men always preaching by holy sermons in the pulpit, by holy lives out of the pulpit. These, Ian Bounds says, can mold a generation for God. The late British evangelist, Gypsy Smith, one said it like this. He says, there are five gospels. Don't get nervous, but he said it like this. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. But most people never read the first four. That means they're looking at us. They're looking at me. That this world, all around us here at Times Square Church, most of, the, most of those around us are not reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're reading our lives. That's what, that's what the challenge is for all of us. That's what Paul was saying. Don't just listen to my words, but watch my life. Because the church didn't take Paul's words seriously, they ended up leaving their first love. Let me close by go, taking you back to the book of Revelation and chapter two and close. I want you to see those words again in Revelation 2.4, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. You have left your first love. That phrase to leave is a process word. It, it, it actually means to let expire. Just like with anything, we have to renew certain things. We have to renew our license. We have to renew our insurance. We have to re renew certain subscriptions that we, that, we, that we pay for monthly. Our love for God, I think what the apostle was telling us, what, what not only Paul was telling them on the beach, but what Jesus was saying to them is you let something expire, that our love for God can expire if we're not renewing it on a daily basis. Some years ago, I was reading this, this story that I, I was just, it just amazed me. 
that there was a ship that was found floating in the Arctic Ocean. And aboard the ship, they found that everyone on that ship was, was frozen and froze to death, but the ship was still moving. The ship, in fact, they said was sailing for 13 years with people on it that were ice cold, that were, that literally couldn't even move, still moving, but no one is alive. That's what happens when we just keep doing things, um, doing things for God, but not out of love for God because our love for him has expired. It wasn't renewed, renewed on a daily basis, renewed when we call out in prayer to him each morning, renewed that through the scriptures. It starts when our conversations, this is the part that we have to keep an eye on. It starts when our conversations with God has been reduced to a um, need to talk basis or a once a week basis when I'm tuning in to church or going to church. The time spent with God is based on convenience, that I'll see God once a week for an hour, but no more than that. My prayer for my own life, my prayer for our church, for your church, in order to keep that fire, that torch burning, that we're not just running a race with a with an empty, uh, with, with nothing burning in the torch, is what the great missionary Amy Carmichael said. She said, God hold us to that which drew us first. When the cross... This is so powerful. When the cross was the attraction and we wanted nothing else, we wanted nothing else. That's what I want. I want that for you. So what went wrong with the Ephesian church? Well, the, the answer we know, but I, I, and we'll go further, but what went wrong with the Ephesian church? It was their love for God. The question is, how did that happen? Their pastor, John, wrote a letter First John, to show where the breakdown of our love for God even originates from. Listen to First John chapter 4, verse 19. This is what John says, one of the pastors of the church of Ephesus. We love him because he first loved us. Another version says it like this. So you see, our love for him comes as a result of his loving us first. This is what is so important for us. What keeps me loving God is not my love, but his unchanging love for me. I love him because he loves me. If that love doesn't change, then neither does my love for him. One of the great Chinese pastors and writers, Watchman Nee, said it like this. If it is our habit to love God with our own affection, we shall turn cold towards him. Ephesus Whenever we're unhappy, he says, when we're not motivated by his unchanging love, I love him because he first loved us and that love doesn't change. Then Watchman Nee is telling us, if it's based on emotion and what we're feeling with our affections, he says, then you're gonna watch that torch begin to go out like it did for Ephesus. John's epistle, I started looking at this, is packed with verses to remind the church of God's love. Remember, we love God because he first loved us. And John over and over and over again kept pointing those people, remember God's love, remember God's love. See, to lose sight of God's love is to leave our first love over and over again. Here's some of them. First John 4, 8, the one who does not love does not know God for God is love. First John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another for the love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. First John 4, 16, 
We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Let me give you one more. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it doesn't know him. What is amazing is that the word love appears 57 times in the Gospel of John more often than in the other three Gospels combined. So if you take Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John uses the word love even more in his one book than they do with all three combined. And in fact, love appears 46 times in the first epistle of John. This is incredible. Why? When we lose sight of God's love for us, then our love for him gets sabotaged. How how do we we begin to, to keep, to, to worship God, to love God, to love him. What do we have to do to do, to, to remember this? See, when Brennan Manning said these words, God not only loves me as I am, but also knows me as I am. Because of this, I don't need to apply spiritual cosmetics to make myself presentable to him. God loves you unconditionally as you are, not as you should be, because none of us, or as we should be. So how do we do? If we're not in that place to love him, we have to keep our eyes on him. But how? How do we do that? What do we see? Or how do we get that to that place? Here it is. I think this is the answer. If you are a Christian, then you must find yourself going back to the cross to renew your love, your soul in the love of God. Pastor Tim, what do you what do you mean by that? Let me give you let me make it as practical as I can. And that's I want to challenge you that every single Tuesday night, one of the things that God put on the heart of David Wilkerson here in New York is that we every Tuesday night at Times Square Church, we will celebrate communion. We will celebrate remembering the cross. Remember, if you're a Christian, if you are a Christian, you have to find yourself going back to the cross to renew your love for God. Because when you forget the cross, you lose sight of God's love because it's in the cross that we see how much God loves us. So when David Wilkerson said, every Tuesday night, we're gonna celebrate communion, Pastor Carter Connell leads the church, the worldwide prayer meeting every Tuesday night. And when we come to the very end, you'll see Pastor Carter telling us, why don't you get a cup? Why don't you get bread? And I want you to go ahead and celebrate the cross with us. You know what know what we're doing? You know what Pastor Carter's doing? You know what we're doing here as leadership at Times Square Church? We're renewing your love for God. We're keeping your eyes on the cross so that you cross, you, you cross the finish line with the torch still burning. Because the way that we keep that love, that we don't lose, that we don't leave that first love, is keeping our eyes on how much God loved us, and that's through the cross. I, I, I want to give you a challenge that when you are when you are being asked to get those elements, the bread and the cup, I, what I'm afraid of is that if you leave them in the cabinet and if you leave it in the refrigerator, you may be leaving something even more catastrophic than a cup and crackers. It's it could be that we're missing out and not seeing how much God loves us because we're not celebrating the cross. I'm grateful 
This has been part of the DNA. This has been part of the culture here at Times Square Church. Remember the cross. Remember the cross. Remember the cross. Why? Because that's the place God loved you. Why? Because we don't want to leave our first love. Why? We want to cross that finish line with the fire of God burning. But I want to say this to you today. So if you're a Christian, then we have to find ourselves renewing that love by going back to the cross to see the love of God in the cross. But if you're not a Christian... I want you to see how much God loves you today by realizing that the cross was the demonstration of his love for you. Listen to Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The message puts it like this, but, but God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death that while we were of no use would ever to him, Christ died for us. What's the paradox here? It's this. We can fully embrace God's love, only we can recognize how completely we are unworthy of it. That's why to remember this, religion says, religion says God will love us if we change. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says God will change us because he loved us. He died while we were still sinners. John, that wrote the word love in his gospel and his epistles over and over again, probably penned the greatest verse on the love of God. It's John 3, 16. Those who are watching, some of you know this. For God so loved the world, and he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life the love of God calling a lost world to a relationship, the love of God calling the world to live with him for eternity, would not perish, but have eternal life. The love of God being the first cause of us loving him, that you would do this for me because I'm not in the condition I should be. And I can't change myself to get you to love me anymore. If God is love, then God loves you. If God is love, and I believe he is, John kept telling that church, and he loves you. And that's why today, when we speak here about what Jesus says here in John 3, if you go back to the beginning, he's speaking to religious people. He's speaking to a, a religious leader named Nicodemus whose flame went out. He was, he was, Nicodemus was the ship in the Arctic that, that had everything in place, but no move. While a ship is moving, he's frozen to death. That's why he shows up to talk to Jesus. That's why Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. He recognized the flame went out. The ship's moving, but I'm frozen. And it was on that day, that night, that Jesus had the most important conversation not only for Nicodemus, but for everyone that's watching today. Because on that night, Jesus was gonna tell us how to have that relationship. Religion says God will love us if we change, but the gospel, the gospel says God will change us because he loves us. Pastor Tim, how does that change happen? Where does it take place? It's really by asking you the most important question anybody can ever ask you. Have you been born again? Because that's when the change takes place. The change takes place by being born again. It's not our words, it's Jesus's words. It's all in John chapter three, because that question is what every person has to answer. Not not have you been baptized, not have you had communion, not have you been a good person, or have you gone to church, or have your parents been religious, have you been brought up in a good home? That's not what Jesus said. Jesus 
as you have to be born again. Just as you had a first birth and born physically, you need a second birth, that's the born again, and born spiritually. This is where God changes you from the inside out. You come with all your hangups, you come with all your habits, and God says, I love you, irregardless of that. I love you, because God is love. And Pastor Tim, how does that change happen? How does that born again, how does that new birth, that second birth take place? I wanna make it as simple as I can by just taking these three letters, A, B, and C, associating with the word and walk you on a quick journey on what it means to be born again. It's A, admitting that I'm a sinner. I get honest with God. Instead of looking at everybody other, everybody else and posting on everybody else's what's wrong with everybody else, it's Psalm 139, me, 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 me. Six, seven times, David says, look at me, examine me. It's when I get honest with God and realize that all of us are infected with a condition called sin that can't be fixed with a promise, a program. There's not a priest or a pastor that can fix it. We need help to fix it that we're broken on the inside and the diagnosis of sin is sin. And I have to admit that today. I have to realize that we're not mistakers, as one pastor said, in need of correction. We're sinners in need of a savior. We need more than a second chance. We need a second birth. How does that happen? That's B, believe. Believe that God has sent his son to fix that sinful condition because I can't fix myself. If we could fix ourselves, then why would God have to have sent his son 2,000 years ago to die for my sin? If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus' death on the cross for me would be just null and void. It would be child abuse. God the Father abusing his own son. But Jesus' death was him being my sin bearer. He died the death I should have died, living a life that I couldn't live and giving me a reward called heaven, eternity, and forgiveness that I didn't deserve. And finally, it's see, confess, admit, believe, confess, Jesus is Lord. That's Romans 10, 9 and 10. Jesus didn't, God didn't send his son Jesus to die on a cross to get you to sit and watch a church service or sit in a chair in a church for an hour or two on Sundays. His goal wasn't to get you to church. His goal was to get you to heaven. Coming to church on Sunday is religious. Being born again is a relationship. God didn't send his son to die on the cross because he wanted to ruin your weekends and take a day away from you. He doesn't want Sundays. He wants every single day. That's why Christianity is not coming to a place. It's coming to a person. Then Pastor Tim, what do I need to do? I want you to pray a prayer with me today. I want you to pray a born again prayer with me that starts a brand new journey that I'm telling you today, if you could realize in the cross how much God loves us, all of a sudden, your heart, right at that moment, the spark happens, the fire starts, the torch comes, and the race begins. And I believe with God's help, you're gonna finish that with a love for God crossing that finish line. Pastor Tim, I wanna pray that prayer. I wanna start that journey. See, for the, for the if you're watching today and you're already born again, look at the cross and how much God loves you. And if you're not born again today, I want to bring you to the cross and show you how much God loves you. For the Christian, I want to remind you God loves you. For those that are not a Christian today, I want to show you that God loves you in the cross. Pastor Tim, I I want to start that journey today with God. I want to be born again. I want a second birth. I want a savior. I don't want a religion. I want a relationship. If that's you, wherever you're at, if someone sent you this link, if maybe you heard about the church, wherever you are around the city, around the country, around the world, 
Would you pray this prayer with me right now? If you could say it, I want you to say it out loud. I don't care whether you whisper it or whether you shout it. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Come on, bow your head and say these words. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. I am so excited for you. This is now your born again date, your second birth date. The journey has just begun. And we want to help you on those next steps of this journey here at Times Square Church. Wherever you're at, I want you to do me just one favor. And that is, if you've prayed this prayer and you've made that decision, I want you to text the word decided. You're going to see it on the lower thirds of your screen. Decided, that word, to 51000. Here, we're going to send you a text, some emails to get you started on the greatest decision of your life. It's decided to 51000. The torch has been lighted and you're going to cross that finish line with it burning. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.